You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. You've now tuned in to the Drawing Board Podcast, a powerful, thought-provoking discussion where we talk about family, relationships, ministry, community, and career. Let's see what exciting guests we have on our show today. Great evening. This is your host, Andre Ebron of the Drawing Board Podcast, where we talk about family. We talk about relationships. We talk about ministry, community, and career. I want you to know that the Drawing Board Podcast is actually, it is the the brainchild from the book I wrote, The Drawing Board. You can get that wherever they're selling books and on Amazon. In fact, I encourage you to go to my Instagram now, Andre underscore Ebron, where you can retrieve the drawing board. And what is the drawing board, you ask? The drawing board is a powerful, thought-provoking testimonial that challenges the reader to examine their life and reimagine the possibilities. Tonight, we are on the show, and we're going to talk about uh, two of my great brothers who I know are doing awesome work across the city of Detroit across this nation and even across this world. We have some uh, some ties across the city as well as they are my Greek brothers. I have a brother from uh, Kappa Alpha Psi and from Phi Beta Sigma. Of course, I have to shout out what I feel is the oldest and the coldest fraternity known to man, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. But we're getting ready to go in and I hope you're ready to listen to the Drawing Board Podcast tonight. So tonight with me, I have my brother Otis Bellinger, and I'd like to let you know a little bit. First of all, brother Otis, I'm glad you're on the show this evening. Glad to be here, brother. All right, awesome. Uh, I want to read your bio to give some people just a snapshot of the awesome things that you have uh, been involved in and are accomplishing. It says, growing up fatherless is a struggle for far too many of our young boys and girls face today. Angry, resentful, confused, uncertain, and often unmotivated. The youth of Metro Detroit are desperate for guidance. Otis Bellinger was once one of those children. He credits his success to two people who refused to give up on him, no matter how hard he pushed them away. Now a successful author, community leader, and motivational speaker, Bellinger continues to ask one question, how do I build a better man? A lifelong Detroiter and graduate of Benedictine High School, Mr. Bellinger holds a B.A. in communications from Fayetteville State University, North Carolina, an M.A. in rehabilitation counseling and community inclusion from Wayne State University, Detroit, Michigan, and a postgraduate certificate in social service administration. It was the combination of his own experience and education that drove Bellinger to his life's calling, building better men. Bellinger is now the director slash founder of Building Better Men Mentoring Leadership Program, a school community-based organization that provides various programs for males ages 8 to 17. The objective is to bring value and positive change one young man at a time. It is Bellinger's hope that by changing the life of one, he will change the life of many. Mr. Bellinger has completed extensive research on conflict resolution, violence prevention techniques, and socioeconomic issues affecting youth and young adults, primarily African-American males. He has authored two best-selling books within, within districts nationwide and conducts workshops locally and nationwide and trainings focusing on primarily built on the building of African-American male development and leadership skills. Most recently, 
Otis Bellinger was recognized by the Detroit News as a 2017 Michigan Michiganer. Was that Michigan? Yeah, he got the Michiganian. the Michigan yeah Michiganian. Excuse me of the year award. Let's give it up for brother Otis Bellinger. Glad to have you here, sir. Thank you. So let's get into it. Building better men. Talk to me about that. How did how did that come about? Well, uh, Building Better Men is a program that uh, was derived from uh, my personal pain. Okay. And it's that every day up until age 12, probably cried every day. And uh, when I was 12, I just decided uh, after some various experiences to – attempt to fix myself. Mm. I mean, the doctors couldn't do it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, mom's belt and iron cord whippings wasn't doing it. So uh, I connected with someone and they just said the best way to um, fix yourself is to look to fix others. And then hopefully you will be able to gain something in terms of understanding of uh, what it is you're doing, where you're going, uh, where you hope to be. So um, just decided one day at age 12 that I wanted to start a program for those who are like me. And I knew one day I would. I just had to get out of the Dexter Davidson area. And uh, once I did that, I just said that uh, I wanted to put something together where um, – you know, your purpose can come from your pain, but it can equate to greatness. That's that's great, brother O. Now, I have a question for you. My God dad has this alliteration, and the alliteration goes like this. Pain, passion, purpose. It says that if you acknowledge and, and understand, like, the root and the source of your pain— that that pain will develop within you a passion like you talk about at age 12. I think about a young man at the age of 12. He's only been living a certain amount of days, but he has a resolve within himself that he's going to change the life of others from that day forward. Like, let's think about that. When you said you repurposed your pain, like, what's the, what is the process of that? Because I feel like someone could be listening right now, a kid that's age 12, uh, an adult that's age 48, an right. adult that's age, you know, 62, and they've actually been carrying all of this pain. Uh, they've gone into jobs that, you know, maybe they're just, you know, making a living, but they, they feel this passion on the inside. How how did you uh, unearth that passion and actually like structure it? How did you? What was the process of that? Well, I just knew what I didn't want to be, and because those examples were all around me, from family members to friends, from guys in the neighborhood. But there was some in the neighborhood who were not doing the right thing. Okay, and they had decided. You know, basically it was like two type of guys in our neighborhood. It was the one who tried to recruit you to do the negative things they were doing in the neighborhood. And it was the other ones who tried to derail you. Okay. And those who tried to derail you, it was sometimes confusing because it wasn't one of those, uh, you know, do as I do. It was like, 
I'm going to keep on doing this, but I don't want you to keep doing it. So uh, it was like the example was being set right before my very eyes. And then some of the same brothers in the neighborhood who were telling me not to do what they were doing slowly began to drop, whether it was prison, whether it was drug addiction, whether it was death. So it was like, man, this is this is like hood college, man. I mean, just just me getting a degree in depression. I mean, getting I mean getting getting a degree and and I mean it was just I don't even want to call it amazing, but it was a situation where, you know, you were learning right as you were living. Learning while you were living. And so we were talking earlier about, you know, environment and how important environment is uh, when we talk about structuring, you know, things for youth. Right. And um, I know you currently serve as the dean of, of culture at right. uh, Nolan Schools. And I feel like they're so privileged to have you because I think you gain the balance of both worlds or you end up being like the amalgamation of two strengths. Uh, the example I can give that are this most prevalent to me is I think about Moses. Right. So Moses was a Hebrew who was raised as an Egyptian. He was pushed down the water. Moses literally means uh, to be drawn out. So he was drawn out of the water, pushed from his home because they were trying to kill all the kids because they knew the Savior was coming, right? And and I say that in a way to acknowledge that he is a shadow and a type of Christ, not that he was the Savior. We see how he shows. But, like, when he came to himself, he realized that I cannot stay in Egypt because my people are suffering and being oppressed. So he took that inward pain that he had. He hid for a while. He developed himself. He went through some things. And then he came back. Because he understood how the Egyptian mm-hmm. systems work, but his inner core was Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about uh, some of us liking yourself who was from Dexter and Davison, who had gone to the school of hard knocks, who knew what it was to be sad and depressed, but also knew what it was to have a dream and a passion to impact lives. And now you are with those youth who may be going through some of those same processes you went through, except they get a shortcut to victory because mm-hmm. you become the bridge. And so I think about how when it's time for people to come out of that pattern, because, you know, we see it every day. Mm -hmm. We see grandma went through this. Then mama went through this. Then now the child is going through this. And what I've really been focused on, I would love to hear your input on this. And we're going to bring Brother Hayes in uh, because he he works with children and family as well. Mm -hmm. What would you think if you had to identify right now today? What is your what was your greatest obstacle and what was your greatest triumph? Well, my greatest obstacle was understanding if my passion would destroy me one day. Elaborate. Uh, well, I looked at me serving others as a coping skills to some internal things that I had not worked on. And what I mean by that is that, uh, yes, I'm of service to the community. Yes, I have a passion for working with young males. But my greatest fear was, am I going to be so dependent upon my passion 
that it would eventually destroy me personally. Mm. So you, so you're saying that your your willingness to serve others and give everything <clears throat> you had right. was really like the outward working of some internal issues that maybe you had. Right, but at the same time, uh-huh. I was working on everybody else, but wasn't working on myself. So the balance between right. um, being able to save the world right. and still yet developing yourself. Right. And, you know, there was a price to pay with some personal uh, relationships with uh, different things. So uh, I've since learned how to get that balance. And I know that you can't save the world, uh, but the world can save you. What do you mean? Well, I mean, you're not going to be able to save everybody. Okay. But there are some things in the world like Jesus Christ, like people he put in your path that can be that can save you, if that makes sense. It it does make sense. So you're saying in, in the process of doing this work that you'll be connected to mm. like minded individuals who are able to reciprocate and actually fill you back up what right. it is that you're pouring out. Right. Uh I was giving this example um by Bishop T. D. Jakes. I was listening to him and he was talking about the, really, he was talking about like a marriage relationship or even a business relationship. He was talking about all relationships. He was saying there are some people who have 100 gallons of love or resource right. to give. And there are some people who have 10 gallons of love or resource to give. And he was saying how the person who has 100 gallons to give some sometimes feels frustrated because they're surrounded by people who only have 10 gallons right. to give. And the person who only have 10 gallons is frustrated that the person who have 100 gallons is placing this demand on them because really they're giving all that they have to give, but the person who has 100 gallons to give still feels empty or they surround themselves with 10 people who have 10 gallons, but they still are are drawing from them. So what would you say to a young person or someone who is out there doing that community work, someone who is, you know, concerned and cares about others. How do they discover that balance, Brother O? You know, two things. One is that to go along with the parable you just gave us, um, don't try to measure someone else's passion. That's good. You know, I mean, because when you do that, then you begin to get into why they have 10 and you have 100. Okay. So, and secondary, um, if you're getting into this work for money, then you're going to be at a deficit in the beginning. And, you know, I tell people the best money I've ever made was money I never chased. That's good. So uh, those are the two things that I talk to people, you know, young guys about all the time, young ladies who say they want to start a nonprofit or do something. And uh, if you... uh there are enough initiatives and nonprofits out there that if you know you're not willing to do the work, why don't you assist someone that is? That's good. So I can feel uh, Brother Hayes, Dr. Hayes over here waiting with bated breath. I know he has a lot of input on this, right. but before I bring him in, I'd like to, uh, first of all, Dr. Hayes, I'm glad you're a part of the show. Thank you, sir. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, I wanted to let the people know a little bit about you. So, Dr. Wayman Hayes is a high-energy, self-motivated individual with great leadership skills. Currently, Wayman is the Director of Early Learning 
youth development at Focus Hope, and a frequent workshop presenter and speaker who brings complementary but distinctly different experiences to child development. He has trained teachers and parents for over 17 years on a myriad of early childhood topics. With over 20 years experience working in all areas of early education, early childhood education, and his quest for knowledge and determination to become a leader in his field, Dr. Hayes has also earned his associate's degree in early childhood development from Oakland Community College, his bachelor's in early childhood education, family studies from Rochester's College, and the master's degree in early childhood education from Oakland University. Dr. Hayes also used his knowledge with young children to teach others by becoming an instructor of early childhood education at Baker College and lecturer at the University of Michigan Flint campus. These experiences have proved critical to his expertise on the topic of child development. As Dr. Hayes is working to complete his dissertation to receive his doctorate degree from Grand Canyon University in Organizational Leadership, Dr. Wayman Hayes was one of the first students to attend a Head Start program on the southeast side of Detroit, as well as the first male center administrator to open a Head Start all-male academy at the same agency and location. He credits his deep family involvement in early childhood education as a source of motivation. Let's welcome Dr. Wayman Hayes to the Drawing Board Podcast. Dr. Hayes, I know you've been listening in, sir. Yes, yes. Uh, One of the awesome things about having uh, Brother O and Dr. Hayes on the show is I have done work with these gentlemen uh, over the last, well, Dr. Hayes, it's been about 14 years. (laughs) Right, right, right. About 14, 15 years. uh, We used to work together and was a part of that initiative. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had the first all-male academy uh, and as a part of National Head Start. Mm-hmm. So we piloted a program that mm. took children, young men, ages two and a half to five, and it was an all-male staff. So our cook was male. We had a male cook. Wow. We had a male social worker. All of our teachers were men. And there was what, about six or seven teachers. Right. It's six or seven teachers. You were the center administrator. And what they did was, correct me if I'm wrong, they took, and I want to shout out, um, uh, Miss Joan Scales for all of the awesome work she did with Southeast Children and Family Development Head Start. For all of you who knew about us going to agency wide, you know you saw us show up with our coats on looking good. <laughs> it's okay. Don't hate. It doesn't look good on you. All right. <laughs> so uh, we showed up and they gave us what they considered from all across the different uh, locations within Southeast Head Start. They gave us what they considered the 50 worst young men. Right. Am I right? That's correct. So these were the young men who, and let's just go ahead and enumerate some of the behaviors where people uh, qualified as the worst. They, you know, had some profanity issues. They were throwing chairs. They were not responding or redirecting uh, to redirection from the staff. They weren't responding to the redirection of their parents. Mm-hmm. And some of our families who were upperly mobile, because I, I don't, I don't want to look at anybody as less fortunate. They may be under resourced, but not less fortunate because. Uh, everybody has an opportunity. We just have to learn to connect our resources 
because all we need to do is get the right stuff in order to get to the place we intend. Would you agree? I agree. All right. So, Dr. Hayes, break it down for me, sir. Like, what's your story? You, or you, you were, you said you were a child at Southeast Head Start, and then you became the center administrator. I feel like it's almost one of those songs, you know, started from the bottom. Now we're here. Right. All right. <laughs> so I came in at a young age, um, just looking for a job. Okay. Fresh out of high school, uh, tried to attend college. And it really wasn't for me at that moment. Okay. Uh, asked Joan for a job, Joan Skills. Shout out to Joan Skills again. Because right. she gave a lot of folks opportunities. She sure did. And she gave me one. Uh, so when I came into the field at the age of 20, okay. I really didn't take it serious. And for a few years went on, um, she sat me down and told me, it's a great opportunity for you here. And so that's when I began to take it serious. And I really started investing my time and energy in succeeding. And for years, I told everyone I was going to be a director of a Head Start program, and now I am. Yes. Um, as well as I go back and I reach and I try to get the same support to the people that gave me support. I am where I am today for the individuals who gave me the resources, staff uh, who invested time with me, who supported me while I was going to school, the parents, the community, the whole environment that I really put myself into, uh, and my parents had me involved. Gave me great resources, even though folks may think that sometimes the bad environment can corrupt you. But I had a lot of individuals who mm. instilled stuff into me. Now, one of the things that's character to your story and uh, Brother O's story is uh, you can come from a place that really our kids have this skill set that if transferred to a different environment or place, they will be grossly successful. Because if you know how to survive, if you know how to make it, if you know how to balance a shoestring budget mm -hmm. and still come out on top, you can take when you get the resources and you know how to multiply it, make it increase. So, I, okay, I know you guys think I'm beating around the bush. So if you have a street pharmacist who understands that it takes dedication to show up every day, you, you have to work late hours, you mm -hmm. have to show up, you have to have the right, you know, product, the quality of the product has to be, you know, on point. You have to make sure you understand your customer's needs. That is the same thing an entrepreneur has to do. Exactly. So if we take that skill set and we teach them entrepreneurial skills, the ups and downs, the feast and famine uh, that comes with that, like our young people are really equipped they just have to switch the product and switch the environment. Dr. Hayes, I want to compliment you, and I, and I want to compliment Brother mm -hmm. O. I have seen your friends around you, mm -hmm. and I remember before there was a master's degree, you were calling yourself Dr. Hayes. Exactly. And you were saying you were going to be a director of a program. How powerful do you think that speech is or speaking life is to seeing and materializing your future? It's very important because you have to see it before you do it. You have to have it in your mindset before you do it. That was give you the energy every day to really get up and get going. That the sacrifices, you sacrifice more when you see it and you can just give you the energy to get it going. Okay, sounds good. Uh, this is what I want to know. This is this is a question that I have for you. Um, same question that I have for, for Brother O. What was the greatest obstacle that you ever faced and what was your greatest triumph? Really, for me, is even though that you really try to stay in the environment and reach the individuals there, they love you and hate you. As you begin to move up, your friends become your enemies. Okay. And the ones that you try to support, mm. 
become is your enemies. That's right. And um, they really, for me, <clears throat> I grew up in an environment where my brothers, and when I say my brothers, I mean the street folks, um, they gave me support. But at the same time, you didn't want to seem like you was better than them. But then when you start moving up the ladder, you was not feel welcome in that space either. So you was caught in between. And that was the biggest obstacle I had to find within myself. Like, I'm good enough no matter which area I'm in. And really learn how to adapt. So, in other words, um, I sit at the table now with a lot of directors and a lot of folks who feel like you don't supposed to be here. I sit at a table with nothing but majority females. I'm half time, I'm the only male at this table. But you don't supposed to be here. But then when I go back into the community, my folks look at me like, why are you still here? You supposed to be gone over there. So you get caught in between that. But I have to have that strong mind to know who I am. That's good. So what what is your comment to those? Because it happens to all of us. So give you a little bit about myself. So I was the young guy in the family that they pushed off the block, right? Mm-hmm. So I was heavily involved in ministry and church and all those things. But in my family, much like other families, we have those who were servicemen and women who went on to the armed forces. Mm-hmm. We had those who went on to college. And then we had those who didn't pay taxes, mm-hmm. you know, follow my drift. Mm-hmm. And so those who didn't pay taxes, they would not allow me to be in these other environments. And they sent the word out to all of those people who were in those environments. Like, if you see Andre over anywhere around there, you better push him off the block because he has no business in that environment. So how do you begin to articulate and to explain um, to someone? I'll give you an example. Uh, I had a young man who uh, his mom had a master's degree, okay, and she was struggling. How many people do we know that have master's degrees, you know, highly educated, but still struggling from paycheck to paycheck and struggling to make it? And so this young man dropped out of school and he started working, you know, uh, as a pharmacist in the community. And he told the administrator, he said, why would I pursue education when look at my mom? She's steadily struggling. And now I'm able to either one can answer this brother. Oh, Dr. Hayes, what would you what would, we, what would your answer be to that young man uh, as far as persevering through the struggle uh, or learning a better way? For me, I will ask him. What is his passion? Okay. Because your passion have to drive you completely. So you have a lot of brothers that's walking around with no passion and no dreams. They lost them a long time ago. So really trying to connect back with him and trying to find that passion within him. Because without that, he's going to continue to see what he's doing is acceptable. And uh, quite frankly, I hear that a lot of times from a lot of older guys and still young ones are still doing the same thing. You have individual degrees constantly working every day in a among the working poor. Absolutely. You have teachers that's working two and three jobs every day with a, a bill coming from financial aid, I mean from um Sally May. Sally May or Absolutely. one of the schools yeah. that's really telling them <laughs> yeah. that you owe this bill, but your salary don't meet up to them expectations. Right. So it's hard to get kids to see that. Most kids want to see a rap be a rapper because that's all they see. And they see it's fast money, and they can do get the things that they want. They don't see individuals working hard every day and really showing them the things that they see that's acceptable in their mindset. 
Okay, brother. Oh, you work with young men all the time. And how how do you instill within them uh, that the success you want is a process? When they might when they when they <clears throat> might be in the struggle, like how do you reemphasize that <clears throat> success is a process when they have immediate things they need right now? Well, uh, one thing that we do is that we take a holistic approach. Okay. Uh, often <clears throat> we serve the the fruit and not the root. Okay. So, uh, you know, in that situation in which you mentioned, uh, I would call the mother and ask her to send me a resume and see what I can do to help her. Uh, but also the young man, uh, one thing that we do is we don't allow our young man to make excuses. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, uh, we, you know, we tell them there's three things you never want to be. And that's one, uh, to have regrets. Two, to be an excuse maker. Okay. And three, to be a quitter. So if you fall under those three, then I mean that you have to do some inventory of yourself. So, uh, and that's not always their reality. Their reality is right now. Right now. <clears throat> so, uh, and those who have uh, taken that approach have got right now, uh, <laughs> right now results. In the form of uh, Swanson's funeral home, yes, uh, in the various other funeral homes, Cantrell, which is the cheapest on the east side, you know, they still uh, yeah, they still <laughs> open. Okay. Well, you know what? Uh, no, well, just recently Cantrell's had some issues, right. <laughs> but prior to, prior to that, uh, they will work with you. Yeah. So, but those aren't the results we want for our young people. You know, uh, you know, I tell a brother all the time, instead of uh, being in a casket, why don't you own the funeral home? Exactly. You know, I mean, so, uh, but, you know, we have to pray with them, mm-hmm. uh, hope for the best, and just, uh, you know, be an example to our young people. Okay, when we talk about being an example and hoping and praying for the best and providing resources for the families we serve, Here's a question, and it's a, it's a little personal. Uh, what were some of the dominant influences in your life? Who who were they? Uh, why were they important to you? I read your bio, Brother O, and you said that there were two people who wouldn't give up on you no matter how hard you tried to push them away. And so I thought about, for those of you who are looking to become mentors, like this is not for the faint at heart. This is not for somebody who's trying to be fly by night. This is not for notoriety. This is not... Just when the cameras show up or when you get the piston tickets or the or you get the lions tickets, this is not just about, you know, uh, taking them, um, you know, to just learn etiquette. This is an investment in their life. I mean, to do life with them, to connect your purpose with their dreams, goals and visions, to cry when they cry, to laugh when they laugh, to uh, be there to support them and, and high five them when they achieve one of their greatest goals to help them pick themselves up and dust themselves off when they fail miserably and learn that lesson, uh, that difficult lesson. But who were some of and what were some of the dominant influences in your lives? Well, mine was my Aunt Brenda. Okay. I got an Aunt Brenda. <clears throat> right. All right. And uh, uh, my Aunt Brenda... Um, I used to stutter a lot. So my Aunt Brenda, 
I kept telling my mother, uh, speech pathologist, I mean, it's just not for him. So like I got the I got the remedy. Okay. So uh she had that little green bag, uh, you know, with that liquor in it, what's that Crown Royal? <laughs> <clears throat> and she would put me in front of the mirror. She had her green bag and she would just tell me to speak and she would just rub my back gently. And just say positive things to me, like one day you're going to speak at the White House. One day you'll be doing this. And just, you know, just calm down. And she did that, like, almost daily. And uh, really, that helped my self-confidence because then I would slow down. And even right now, folks don't see it, but I'll stutter some, but I'll slow down and just begin to, uh, you know, announce my words and, and be able to speak and get my mind set together. But that hand on my back, you know, that, 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 that just love, you know, hand on my back. And also, a uh, young man, well, he's an older gentleman now, by the name of Mr. Alonzo Littlejohn. Okay. Yeah, that's my first basketball coach. Yes, sir. Stayed across the street from me, so those two. Okay, great. So you were saying that the positive love and that belief in in what you were going mm. to do and speaking that word of life while right. rubbing your back. I saw you put on your, your Facebook, um, yeah, your uh, stutter boy is now on stage with Hill right. Harper. Right. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and uh, so you were just a part of uh, a keynote at the Men Empowerment Conference. Right. I saw you were just uh, a speaker at the Young King Conference. Um, I saw you at the uh, Conference for Black Male uh, education right. alliance and you're just doing great things so this is for those who might be listening and you know your child may have uh, some type of speech impediment or something else may be going on or you yourself might be struggling uh, you need to take a note from uh, Mr. El- Mr. Bellinger's book that if you just go ahead and get that crown roll no I'm joking not the crown <laughs> roll bag, but if you get somebody who has that positive love and affirmation. And even if you don't have anyone there to encourage you, get that mirror and begin to, right. I'll say it, prophesy, speak to yourself. Mm-hmm. And you got to say, I do that every single morning, brother. Oh, I get That's up right. and I state my goals and I speak it in the air. That's right. And, uh, you know, I just believe mm-hmm. that whatever I say, my actions will begin to align with it. And once I put my actions in align with my words, I'll start to see progress. I saw a quote, and I definitely want to get to you, Dr. Mm-hmm. Hayes. But I saw a quote today. It says, some people underestimate slow progress. But what they fail to realize is that slow progress is still progress. That's right. All right, so let me take it to the hood real quick. When you ask people, hey, what's going on? And they say slow motion. Mm-hmm. What do we say? Well, slow motion is better, better than, than no motion. No motion. So you got to understand that. The dream that you have is so important that it's worth taking time to achieve, that it's worth taking time to reach. And if you want it overnight, like what happens when you get there? What's next? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you've achieved that goal. And I'll be honest, I was one of those. I set a goal up, I knock a goal down. Set a goal Mm -hmm. up, knock a goal down. But life was so unsatisfying Mm -hmm. because I was never satisfied. Mm -hmm. And I know there's a motivational piece where you say, you know, never be satisfied where you are. Make sure you get, you know, where you're going. But for me, it was like it was intoxicating, to to say the least. It was like I told you all I had a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, a 15-year plan, and a 20-year plan. I had wrote all this down. You remember? Mm-hmm. I came out of college. I was 21 when we met, I think, 21, 22. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> you can have these goals, 
And you can set them up and knock them down, set them up, and knock them down, set them up, knock them down. And then what's next? Like, are you accomplishing these goals at the detriment and, and the threat of losing some of your most valuable relationships? Are you accomplishing, you know, these goals or investing all these time, all this time in this situation and not realizing that life is a balance of work and play? Uh, because the Bible tells us to teach us to number our days mm. because we they're not they're not a lot. Right. And so we have to spend it and invest it doing things that adds value. Like me accomplishing that goal, man, that's great. But the legacy that I leave will be one of inspiration, motivation, and transformation, mm. not because of what I've done just in accomplishing my goals, but in the lives that I've invested in. So, Dr. Hayes, tell me about uh, who were your dominant uh you know, who were your, your dominant influences and, and what were your dominant influences in life? Well, I'll say my parents, my mother and my father, um, because they invested a lot into us. And I'll say my community okay. because of my community invested a lot into us as well, into myself as okay. well. Um, I always tell a story about this guy. I had a real problem. I'd like to shoot dice on the streets. And uh, before I started working at the school, I was working at this nursing home. And one of the guys on the street, he had a little problem. And he say, workers never hustle and hustlers never work. And at first I didn't understand what he was saying. He said, well, you the hustler. You go, every work every, you go to work every day and you being hustled because you're bringing the money back into the game where nobody else is working. And I caught on to that. So people like that who really invested the time to say something in. I think people walk past individuals on the street who have issues, mental health issues, have drug issues, and they think these people are not folk. They're not real people with intelligence or nothing to give. Them are folks I listen to, and I treat them with respect, and I gain something from them as well. Like I said, my parents, because they worked hard every day, they was among the working poor, but we still they still invested a lot and gave us what we needed. And then the haters— the, the haters? The haters. Okay. I mean, I'm just, I have to say it. I'm just sorry. It was folks when I said I was going to be Dr. Hayes, oh, you ain't going to get past an associate's degree. You ain't going to get past a bachelor's degree. You still that kid from the east side. You still a little wham. You ain't about to do nothing. You play too much. Or you like the girls or this. It was always something. You ain't going to be no director. You ain't mature enough. So I had to prove a point, and I, it really energized me to stay up late nights and make sacrifices to accomplish the goals that I set before myself. That's true. Uh I know there was a saying at one time, if you don't have 10 haters, you need to go by tomorrow or something like that. It was a meme out there saying, if you didn't have at least 10 haters, you need to go get some. But the one thing about it is what people don't realize is that's biblical. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bible says, woe be unto you when all men speak well of you. And so when everybody, they, the old folks used to tell us, say, when everybody is speaking well of you and singing your praises, then you're doing too much to please men. Mm-hmm. You got to take a stance for what it is that you believe, and you got to take a stance for what is right. Dr. King said it's always the right time to do what is right. So I have a question for you. When you when you look at, I, I'm real big on like words that describe ourselves. I feel like when you understand who you are and what your core motivations are, then you'll know. As you said one time, Brother O, you knew what was for you. You knew what was not for you. You had examples, both good and bad, of what it is that you did want to do and what you didn't want to become. So if you had to describe yourself, um, uh, what, what, how would you best describe yourself, Brother O? <clears throat> you know, uh, 
with every fiber in my body, I believe that I am meant to impact the lives of primarily African-American males. So uh, one time I was speaking somewhere and a young man says, what would you be doing? What would you have chose to do if you were not uh, impacting the lives of young brothers? And I stopped and I just said, I'll probably die because this is all I'm meant to do. Oh, wow. So, um, and then the kid just hollered out, you know, manager, you the LeBron James of this. Okay. And I got to thinking, I agree. I mean, you're not stealing the ball from me. I mean, you're not going to outwork me. Okay. And um, you can't pay me enough. That's it. Okay, great. So I, what I heard in that, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, that um, you are the LeBron James in impacting the lives of young African-American males across the world. That's what the young man said. I mean, but this right. is the thing, though. I, I, I want us I want us to own that, though. He because, spoke something. Yeah, he did. And and right. what, what I found interesting, like my, my son, he, he has dreams, and he's been part of the uh, Building Better Men program, right. and I appreciate you right. investing uh, in his life uh, when he was over at Poupard um, School in Gross Point area. Um, what I found great about that is, and what, what gave me great confidence, is that I knew you. Right. And... I I I was I felt great in knowing that my son was participating in a program with a gentleman who would hold him just as accountable mm-hmm. to being himself as I would. Right. You know, and what I find sometimes is when we know people are doing great things and we know that our kids could benefit from their voice and this is for all of my brothers that are doing their best to be fathers. This is this is the message to you. Uh I used to get upset when Sometimes, especially in the early years, mm-hmm. when my son would respond to someone else's voice before he would respond to mine. Mm-hmm. And so the Lord dealt with me on that. He says, if he gets the message and it helps develop him to become what you're praying for, who you're praying for, what matters whose voice it comes through? Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, that was liberal. He was about uh, five years old because my son, he cherishes his God dad. And I love you, brother Victor Carmichael. And he cherishes his God dad. My son would not listen to me anything about sports. Now, I ran track all through middle school, <laughs> high school, college. I played ball, starting point guard. Yeah, you don't want you don't want none. If you want some, <laughs> lace them up. You can come get some. Uh, maybe not today, tomorrow. Um, but he wouldn't listen to me about anything about sports. But when it came to his God, dad, talking about sports, man, you he cherished it like it was gold. Right. And it, it hurt my confidence a little bit. <laughs> I'm not going to hold you up. It hurt my confidence a little bit because I'm like, man, I want you to respond to me that way. But gentlemen, brothers, fathers, dads, pops, whatever the name that of, of endearment that speaks to the work of you investing in your young people's lives. Like you have to allow <clears throat> those who have integrity <clears throat> Uh, to speak into the life of your young man, because I want to tell you, and it's a humbling place to be, your son, your children are going to need more than you in order to make it to the destiny that God has for them. Let that pause. Salah. Think about that. The weight of the world is not on your shoulders, brother. Allow somebody to help you. Allow somebody to like be vulnerable enough to admit that you need that. 
I had to be vulnerable. I was, man, listen, 23 years old, had two, you know, my, my daughter was born 24, my son was born. I thought I was a know-it-all, you know, I had it together. Don't say nothing, Dr. Hayes, I promise we I'll come across that. <laughs> but um, I had to submit myself and humble myself to receive the help of others. So I want to say thank you for that. And Dr. Hayes, how would you describe yourself, sir? Well, for me, I would say I'm a tool of God. Okay. And that's how I would describe myself, a tool. And the type of tool I am, I'm a tool I'm a tool in that box when someone needs support, God decides who I'm going to be and what tool I'm going to be that day. Uh, I believe my purpose in life is to support and help people. I get joy and gratification from helping people. Um, I'm one of the people that really have to deal with seeking support from other folks as well. Absolutely. Even though I know I received it, but I was never the one who went out and asked for it. And like we just was talking about how individuals are placed in your life to support you. And I believe I'm a God people because I'm a very spiritual person, but I believe I'm a tool of God. And I try to use all my gifts, influence to really help someone else. Okay, great. I'm I'm glad that you continue to elaborate because first I thought you said I'm a tool of God. I said, What's, what, what, what is a tool of God? No, but a tool of God. And what I found so instrumental in both of you all's testimonies is how your faith plays a major role. Mm. Uh, like, ex- expound on that. Like, how important is your faith to the work that you do? For me, it's important. It's very important um, because I really let God order my steps and really the things I do. Sometimes you get let ego get in the way and pray for me because I still work on that. Okay. Because I'm like <laughs> you. I'm the LeBron James in my field, and I feel like can't nobody beat me. You know, and I challenge, take every opportunity as a challenge, you that's know, right. completely. And that's how I deal with it. And I'm very competitive and I'm passionate. Yeah. And sometimes my passions speak out in actions. And But at the same time, I'm here to help the community, not only the east side of the community, but I service the west side of the community as well. And that's what I feel like I'm there for. And I feel the same way. They can never pay me enough. They can never pay me enough. I feel like I'm worth more than whatever will get paid because I put a lot of time and energy into That's what right. I do. But I'm not there for the money. Okay. I'm there for the people. That's good. So, uh, Brother Oa, we all are, we have about 12 minutes left in the show. Um, I was sitting back and I was thinking, and I was talking to my wife about mm-hmm. how instrumental you all have been, you know, in my life as far as giving me speaking opportunities. You know, I never really set out to be a speaker. I never did. That was never that was never my goal. Um but you're good at it. Yeah, well thank you. You're great. I, yeah. That's right. LeBron James. It, yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um but you all gave me an opportunity. Uh and brother oh I mentioned it sometimes when I get a chance to come back mm. and talk to your to the young men of building better men. But one of the first messages that I, I shared um, like in a speaking format to young men specifically was to his group. And I remember it was called practice mode. I'll never forget it. It was called practice mode. And I talked to the young men about how, you know, they like to play the game. But before you enter on to, to the real scene where you start counting points and, you know, victories and losses, that you get a chance to practice. There, mm-hmm. You remember practice mode. So mm-hmm. you're working on your jump shot or you, right. you're working on the moves or you're working mm-hmm. on the things in practice mode. And what I told them was you have the benefit uh, in your youth 
to practice for real life. And you have the the benefit to, you know, stumble in a safe environment. So this is for all of my educators, all my educators. I'm looking you square in the face. All of the social workers, I'm looking you square in the face. All of the parents, I'm eye to eye with you right now, almost no touching nose with you. If your children are not allowed to blunder and make mistakes in your home and at school where these are safe environments, where else can they make mistakes and learn? Like you cannot approach your child with the expectation of perfection. You cannot work out your inadequacies or your shortcomings in your child's life. That's right. Because when you put that pressure on your child to be perfect, they may obey you, but they grow to resent you. That's right. And so you have to give them the chance to become them. I'll be transparent with you in this moment. My son was doing something goofy in the car. I don't know what he was doing. He just was he was doing something goofy in the car. And it was irritating me at the moment. I said, what is this boy doing? Now, I'm a parent. Now, if you want to be honest, like, oh, my gosh, brother, Ebron, you can't say that your child was irritating you. Yes, in that moment, he was. it was bothering me. And I said, son, I said, what are you doing? And he looked at me, and I'm going to hold back the tears at the moment. He said, dad, I'm just being myself. And, man, the weight of that in that moment was I have to allow him that space to just work out all those little goofy, you know, idiosyncrasies and all those things. Because my goal is not to make him a duplicate of me, mm-hmm. but my goal is to make him the best original him that I can make. So guess what? For those of you who might be looking on and your son or your daughter or you might be raising your niece or your nephew, you have to realize that you have to help and discover like what they're good and good at, you know, discover what their passions are. Discover, you know, what their dreams and goals are. Don't try to work out a second life through them, but allow them to live and allow them to live full lives. If your child is innocent and still has a childlike behavior, like cherish that because there are so many kids who have not had a childhood. So you got to allow them that space. Uh, as we close out, there's a poem that you all might be familiar with. Um, it's called Test of a Man. All right. And it says this. It says the test of the man is in the fight that he makes, the grit that he daily shows, the way he stands upon his feet and takes life numerous bumps and blows. A coward can smile when there's naught to fear and nothing is progress bars. But it takes a man to stand and cheer while the other fellow stars. It isn't the victory after all, but the fight that a brother makes. A man when driven against the wall still stands erect and takes the blows of fate with his head held high. Bleeding, bruised, and paled is the man who will win and fate defy, for he isn't afraid to fail. The test of a man. I'm sitting here with these two gentlemen, Dr. Hayes and Brother Bellinger. I appreciate all of the work that you all are doing across the city. I appreciate the lives of those who you impact. I texted Brother uh, the other day, and I gave him this encouragement. I didn't get a response, but it wasn't for him to respond. It was for me to just release this word in his life. I encouraged him. I said, man, listen, continue the work that you're doing because there are people's lives that you're impacting that you will never get to meet. The work that you do has generational impact because if you change and disrupt the pattern of dysfunction for a family, you have just impacted an entire generation. And so there will be people that will benefit from the life and the ministry and the work of Mr. Bellinger. There will be people who will benefit from the life, the purpose, the mission, the goal of Dr. Hayes. 
And as you work hard and continue to work hard and be the LeBron James, you know, we use him as the model. But what we have to realize about LeBron James is that even though he's great, he's still up at 6 a.m. every day getting those workouts in. So for those of you who are getting ready to tweet, quote, put things out there about we said we were the LeBron James of this, that, and another, his work ethic is what we're talking about. Right. His ability to get it in even though he has achieved great success. His ability to give back, and this is not a promo, you know, putting things out there to try to highlight LeBron, but this is saying you have brothers in the city of Detroit who are putting in work to change lives of young men. Uh, Brother Bellinger, where can they find you at if they want to connect with you? We, our program meets Monday through Thursday from 6 to 7.30. On Mondays and Wednesdays, we have males in grades 3 through 6. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have males in grades 7 through 9th. And on Fridays, we have free SAT uh, training and college readiness for males in 10th through 12th at the Sadie Trey Play Center, which is at 19320 Van Dyke, uh, not far from Seven Mile. And that's the center that Mitch Album, the Pistons, the Tigers, the Lions all pool money to put together. That is an entirely free program. However, we have limited space. And you can reach us at 313-772-0110. Can you give us that number again? 313-772-0110. And if they want to connect with you on social media, where are you at on social media? Uh, I have a page on Facebook under Otis Bellinger. Also, uh, Twitter, Building Better Men, has a page on Instagram and Facebook. Okay, awesome. Dr. Hayes. Where can we find you, sir? You always want to find me on the east side, but <laughs> doing work hours, I'm at Focus Hope. Uh, 1550 Oatman. Focus Hope really owned the whole campus of Oatman, down from Linwood to Hampton. Um, we service the whole entire family. We have our focus is education, careers, and uh, food for seniors. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's <laughs> good. Food. So what is it? Education? Careers, Careers and, food. and food. And uh, advocacy. And advocacy. Great. Yes, that's our new program. I'm sorry about that. But advocacy as well. Oh, that's great. Um, in my program, we service uh, pregnant mothers, fathers, as well as the youth development kids and um, grandparents who's raising their grandkids. Uh, we have a – we just dare to support the whole entire family. 2GN approach. Oh, okay, great. And on social media, you want them following you, sir? Yes, Wayman Hayes, Facebook, LinkedIn, as well as Instagram. Okay, Wayman Hayes. And, of course, this is your host, Andre Ebron. If you're tuning in, of course, you're following me on Facebook at Andre Ebron. You can go to EbronAssociates.com, find me there. On Instagram, it's Andre underscore Ebron. And my personal inf- contact information is 313-663-8772. And Dr. Hayes, I'm going to end with this one because I know it's one of your favorite poems, yes. all right? So if you all uh, are looking to follow your dreams, this goes back to my mentor, uh, Apostle Dr. Oscar J. Dowdell Underwood Jr. of Fort Wayne, Indiana. He is the pastor of Cathedral of Praise International. He taught us this. He said, follow your dreams. Take one step at a time. Don't settle for less. Just continue to climb. Follow your dreams. If you stumble, don't stop. Keep your eyes on your goals. Press on to the top. 
For only on top can we see the whole view. Can we see what we've done and what we can do? Can we then have a vision to seek something new? Press on and follow your dreams. This has been the Drawing Board Podcast, where we talk about family, relationships, ministry, community, and career. And to all of you all that are starting, or those of you all who are starting again, I want you to know that it's entirely possible. God bless you.